Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Al and Lingy podcast. We've still got one game to go to complete round five in the AFL and it's a match very dear to Cameron Ling's heart. It's Geelong and Hawthorne at the MCG. But as we speak, Lingy, there's already been some fascinating football played. The Demons look a cut above and... I watched Fremantle at Marvel Stadium do a job on Essendon today. They go four and one and got a massive percentage boost out of it as well. They're up to second on the table. A few little incidents, though, have caught the eye across the weekend that we can talk through. Welcome to you, mate. Oh, great to be here, Al. Excited to talk about this round of footy. Yeah, you're right. Tomorrow, Easter Monday clash is always one that I just hold on to a little bit. It's still the one that I ran into a couple of players during the week. I was down doing something at, um, at GMHBA Stadium. Ran into a couple of players and I just mentioned, half joking, but with that hint of seriousness, you better make sure you win this one, boys. No, just don't <laughs> muck around with this one. Get the job done. Just makes my life so much happier. Um, but there's been some brilliant footy. You're right about Freo, Al. Wow. was so impressive. What about the job Justin Longmuir has done as coach? Mm. Rebuilt that list very, very quickly. And then heading into this year, probably getting closer to launching not not fully there yet i still reckon they're 12 months or so away and then nat fife has all sorts of troubles in the off season and, and goes down doesn't play a game they lost adam chera in the off season and they haven't missed a beat it's been superb by the dockers yeah it's a really good build there on lingy they were excellent today longmuir in his first season they won seven games second year they win 10 and this season to be four and one already. Their list profile looks excellent too. They've got so many good young players who are having an influence and really look the part. And some good players as well in that mid-20s bracket. James Aish, um, Luke Ryan, for example, those types of players. And David Mundy, the veteran, who looks like he, he could definitely play on for another season. They were so impressive today. Very worrying for Essendon, though. I think it really has reached the stage where you put a line through Essendon's finals chances, such as being their disappointing start to the season. Stringer's no certainty to return against Collingwood on Anzac Day. Zach Merritt's still a long way away as well. So, very difficult year for, for Essendon. We'll touch a little bit more on their performance later on. But uh, let's start with what caught your eye across the round of footy so far. Well, the, the, the big one for me, and, and, and it was an outstanding round of footy, but it was the return to form, I think, of the Western Bulldogs. Uh, and I know when you say Courtney, there was many other special moments and, and everything like that. You know what I noticed from the dogs? And it was North Melbourne. Granted, they're going to finish somewhere down the bottom of the ladder. But just their ability to score and their efficiency when they went forward and the excitement with which they played with Again, I always have this little asterisk of they weren't playing the greatest team on earth. But maybe it's been as simple as the last couple of weeks with the Dogs that they just have shot themselves in the foot time and time again. They've missed chances. They've missed shots at goal. When, when you look at that midfield and Tom Liberatore is back in the middle of it and in amongst the, the clearances and the contest, they just look so much better. Bailey Smith ran around without an opponent for the entire game. Now, that's not going to happen every single week and, and had 43 disposals and, and just looked superb. Norton was la launching at the ball. Bontempelli's a threat when he's forward. Yes, I, I, I get everybody listening right now is going to say, yeah, but what about their defence? And Yeah, what about this? And what about that? All valid points. But I just saw the Bulldogs getting back to the way that got them to a grand final last year. Liber in the middle, really deep midfield and attacking efficiency that works pretty well. And, yeah, they look good. They look very, very good. What about you, Al? Yeah, what, what was your big highlight of the, of the round? Well, the Adelaide Crows really impressed me, Lingy. That was a match on Saturday twilight that I thought Richmond should win pretty comfortably. You look at the back line that Adelaide had out there against the likes of Bolter, Lynch, Rewalt, and you're talking about Butts, who's an inexperienced player. Billy Frampton's being asked to perform a key role in defence as well. that Duda is obviously a wonderful player and a very good intercept player, but I thought Richmond 
looked like they were starting to find some seriously good form. Again, we saw what they did in the second half of the Western Bulldogs the week before when they looked back to some of their manic best of, of years gone by the Tigers. But when the game was on the line, Adelaide came up with the goods and that showed a maturity that I didn't necessarily think the Crows possessed at this stage in their development under Matthew Nix. Taylor Walker was immense. He looked like a, a beast of a forward. Wind the clock back five or six years ago to the type of football he was playing then. And even a dead argument for you, I'm going to throw this in now, Cameron Ling. The dead argument is that Tex Walker was finished. Because yep. if you go back a couple of years, people were saying his career was over. He kicked 48 goals last year. He's obviously had a, a moment of immense regret, a terrible moment, racial vilification. He's been banned for six weeks. He's come back. He's had that period of shame and regret to contend with and, and re-education as well to try and become a better person. And he's come out when people again said that they didn't think he could come back. Some said he should never play again based on what he had done. But the facts don't lie. He's come out and had a huge impact. He's kicked four against Essendon in a match that they narrowly lost in Melbourne. And then he has been so key to their win, kicking five against a pretty good side in, in Richmond, albeit with some key personnel missing. So... I liked what I saw from Adelaide. Elliot Himmelberg showed some real signs that he's going to become a player. And Josh Rochelle, to see him perform the way he did again, albeit he walked, worked his way into the game, was pretty quiet early. He just does things that suggest he is built for the big stage. And for Adelaide to win a couple of games early in the season, I think it's a really good thing. So that, I thought that was very impressive across the weekend. It's a good point you make, Al. I thought the Crows would continue to struggle a bit. They'd pinch games here and there and obviously win a showdown, which was exciting. I didn't think they had a win like that in them um, either. And, and Rory Sloan going down and getting hurt is really unfortunate for them. But th there is something building there. And it goes to show that the old saying, it's never as bad as it seems. Well, it's never as good as it seems either. But when, the, when Mark Rusciuto was saying things like, whatever he said, can't kick or handball or struggling with this and that, it goes to show that things can just be on a slow burn and just simmering away and then you get going a little bit. I was one who, I, I've got to admit, I, I thought Tex would struggle to come back. I, I think pre-last year, he was really battling. He'd lost any of his real zip. He couldn't take the marks that he was taking. He couldn't get the separation. He was just starting to struggle a little bit. Then throw in everything that happened with the racial vilification. I thought, oh, I, I don't think he comes back from this. Um, it, it's, it's such a huge step to come back to try and get back any of the respect that he built up over so long. And, and that's still going to take time, still take mm. a long, long time for him to do that. Um, but I thought with the burden of that, I just think thought he, his footy would struggle too much and, and he wouldn't play again. Um, he's not only come back and playing, he's playing terrific footy, you're right. Um, so well done to the Crows. It was a, it was a fantastic win. Um, Damien Hardwick was not happy at all uh, with the way that his team played. And quite right, they would have, not that you ever put one in the book, but that's one that he would have thought, yeah, we're a, we should, at our very best with the players we're getting back, should almost be able to put that one in the win column. And they had their moments, Richmond, in that game. They were well down. They fought back. They hit the lead. And then Adelaide was able to, to see them off to come again. Um, Richmond had moments where they were bash it forward, play with that manic style, those quick hand passes, knock it along the ground. But they were just a little bit fumbly. And the Richmond of old would have been very clean in those circumstances. So it's a question, I suppose, of whether Richmond can find a way of, of cleaning that aspect of their game up. And, and also they conceded way too many goals for the number of inside 50s uh, Adelaide had. There was a huge disparity in, in that part of the game where Richmond took the ball forward, didn't score. Adelaide, conversely, I think, scored from 50% of their entries. So he's got, uh, he's got some learning points there that he can take the team through during the week ahead of a massive match on Anzac Eve against Melbourne. Just quickly on Melbourne, because again, they were, they were so good the way they put the Giants away in that third quarter when they kicked 10 goals. Lingy, I'm struggling to see a way that Melbourne can be beaten this season uh, for, a, for a premiership. I'm sure at some point they're going to slip up along the course of the season, but they do clearly look to me the best team in it. I think we discussed last week that there's daylight between them and the next group of, of chasing teams. And, and I throw the Brisbane Lions in that chasing team who, are, who look very good. Geelong's in that chasing group. Um, the excitement and the up-and-coming ones of, you know, your St Kilda's and Carlton's and Fremantle's are, are all in that chasing group. Can the dogs return there? That, that's, all, that's a bit of a, a jumbly mess at the moment in amongst those teams. And then there's Melbourne way out in front. You're right. It, 
right now as we sit here, you go, oh, they won't drop one. But we know that footy's far different to that. They, they'll drop games and uh, I experienced firsthand, you can be the very best team for the entire season and you don't perform on a given day against another very, very good team. You can have a premiership that a lot of people would mark down in the book as uh, going mm. to you and you can have it taken away from you. So it's a long, long season to go. But right now it is Melbourne then daylight, then the other teams chasing after that. And for Melbourne to be doing it at the moment with Ben Brown out of the side, so Sam Wiedemann comes in. Adam Tomlinson, for him to be dropped, Adam Tomlinson is a walk-up starting to almost every defence in the competition. I would have thought that they've preferred Petty to him at the moment and even Joel Smith's vying for a position in that that back line. They've now gone 51 matches, Melbourne, without conceding 100 points. So they are so hard to score against. And just listening to Leon Cameron, the Giants coach, in the aftermath of that match, he saw some positivity in the way the Giants had played and hung in there for, for periods of the game. But the, the game was blown wide open, obviously, in, in the third quarter. And, and it does heap more pressure on the Giants and it heaps more pressure on Leon Cameron, who's put his contract talks off until the end of the season. And he said that they're in a form slump. He also said that there was a, a very decisive month of football coming up. They've got a match in Canberra against the Kilda on Friday night to kick off round six, but these junk food giants, Lingy of yours, did they <laughs> any more source of nutrients in that performance oh. or? No, no, well, there's still no nutritional value whatsoever. It's at that part of the food pyramid that you're, uh, you should only have in very, very small amounts. Um, it, no, it's, it's the same, Al. We're, we're not talking about a team that has bottomed out and has had no, had some success previously, has bottomed out, now in a real re- rebuilding phasing and have these inconsistent performances. This is a team that should be there. It's got so much talent. You go through it. I, I did it last week. Whitfield, Kelly, Taranto, coming down back, Haynes, like all of these terrific footballers, Cornelio, they're all there. There's talent galore. You've got to be better than that. You've got to be better on a consistent basis. Okay, if Leon's saying, and, and I quite like Leon as a coach, but if Leon's saying that was an improvement and the intent and the intensity and the effort was there against just a far superior team, okay, fine. They're going to lose to Melbourne. Well, that same intent and intensity and effort and everything has to be there next week against a team that they should beat. It, does, it doesn't matter... You can say that St Kilda's flying or you can say there's other teams flying. So what? The Giants should be seeing themselves as better than those teams and beating those teams and should be the one internally saying, we're the leader of the pack that's chasing Melbourne. But unfortunately, the, the, the performance just fluctuates far too much. They can look beautiful, brilliant at times. And then other times, oh, I just tear my hair out when I watch them sometimes. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting month ahead for the Giants as, as Leon Cameron's laid it down and, and perhaps an interesting month for him in, in terms of where he sits going beyond this season as well. And, and I suppose the same sort of storyline exists around the Port Adelaide coach, Ken Hinckley, who is a friend of yours, Lingy, someone you would admire and, and you think is a very good coach, but someone ultimately who is now coaching a team that for the first time in its history is zero and five through the opening five rounds of a season. And we're well down. I think the best part of 50 points down against the Blues at the MCG today. Huge fight back. Almost pinched the game in the end, but ultimately 0-5. and five. So, Robbie Gray came back in. Finlayson came back in. Alir Alir came back into the lineup as well. And, and for them not to turn up for so long in that match is a worry. And 0-5, and five, how do you make the finals from 0-5? and five? And, and how does Ken Hinckley hold on to his job if they don't make the finals? Oh, they're, all, they're all good questions, Al. Um... I don't think they do make the finals from zero and five, first of all. Um, the, when you see them play the way they did, so desperate and so fast with their ball movement and, and efficient and dynamic and everything they did to close that gap and in the last quarter, you've got to be a Port Adelaide fan sitting there going, where the hell was that in the first half? And where has it been for the rest of the season? They've gone missing for giant chunks of games in the first five rounds of the year. I mean, where is that? Is that a choice thing? Is that a personnel thing? 
Is it a structural thing? Well, if you're going to start arguing a personnel thing, well, that's just a cop out and a bunch of excuses. I, I don't think you can do that. Lots, lots of teams have injuries and lots of teams overcome that. Um, yeah. I don't know where they go from here, Al, to be, to be perfectly honest, because it doesn't get much better. Wines is still out for another couple. Scotty Lysette's now missing, what, three months of footy in the ruck. Um, it's, it's only going to get worse and worse. And I worry that ultimately we're a win and a loss industry and that's going to hurt Kenny Hinckley in a, in a massive way. It was a terrific comeback. It was a fantastic comeback. But why wait till you're 50 points down to play that type of footy? I don't yeah, well, Adelaide's got West Coast in Adelaide next. Now, reports actually through today that uh, Ollie Wines might be okay to play in that okay. match after his issue with his heart. He had heart palpitations, had to go to hospital, and, and there were huge concerns for him. So the prognosis is looking okay there. There were... There wasn't a moment of controversy late in that game, Lingy, when the game was really on the line, when Darcy Byrne-Jones got a, yes. a free kick and there could have been a 50-metre penalty awarded. How did you see it? Well, this is the question I've got to ask you, Al, and, and to put to the AFL. OK, so on Thursday night, we have the controversy around the Harris-Andrews 50-metre penalty. I think most people will have watched that by now. Harris-Andrews turns to the umpire and puts his arms out a little bit to question the decision. Straight away, a 50-metre penalty is paid. Darcy Moore kicks the goal. I think it closes the gap to about 15 points. Umpire Andrew Stevens says, arms out is 50, mate. That was his simple explanation. Now, I think uh, through uh, reading on the website, John Ralph followed up with the AFL and asked the question. And they basically, they haven't come out and stated it themselves, but they told him they are okay to back the umpire in this situation. They want to crack down on that sort of, turning and remonstrating with the umpire arms out. Okay, fine. If that's the line, well, then they all have to be paid. As simple as that. So late in the game, I think just under three minutes to go. The gap's about three points the difference. Port Adelaide have put in the huge effort. Darcy Byrne-Jones gets a free kick just behind centre on the wing. Free kick's clearly there. George Hewitt turns around as soon as the umpire's paid the, paid the free kick and arms out and aggressively says something, I don't know what, and then realises probably he's done wrong and quickly turns back. But as clear as day, arms are out aggressively turning to the umpire. If you are going to pay Harris Andrews 50-metre penalty, you must pay that one as a 50 as well. And that could have sent Port Adelaide into attack again with all the momentum. Do they find a goal? Do they pinch that improbable victory? I don't know. But we can't have the Harris Andrews 50s paid if the George Hewitt one is missed. Yeah. We, we can have a debate, Al, if you, you want either of them paid. That's fine. Sure. But if you're going to pay one, you have to pay the other, regardless of the time of the game and how hot the moment is and how important that 50 would be. George Hewitt turns around and aggressively throws the arms out. It's got to be 50 if Harris Andrews was. It's such a subjective thing, too. One individual umpire might interpret something in a different way to another. So... Is someone being demonstrably frustrated or are they demonstrably angry at the umpire? And I think there still needs to be room for a player to express some frustration if the decision doesn't go their way. And I would have thought throwing out their arms and querying a decision is it's not disrespectful. Um, I'm not sure whether it quite needs to go that far. And there were occasions in the Richmond-Adelaide game as well where a couple of Richmond players I noticed throughout the game did exactly the same thing, Lingy, and there was no 50-metre penalty there. I think for the benefit of the fans as well, if you're going to pay 50 metres every single time a player throws their arms out querying a decision, even if politely, then, gee, we're going to see a lot of 50 metre penalties and that is going to be so frustrating for the supporters at games who ultimately pay their money to come and watch their teams. Yeah, it's a good point, except the counter-argument to that is if they want to get eradicated completely, pay them all early on in the season. Stop having the inconsistency yep. of it. Pay them all. And um, players, sorry, will learn to adapt by still having the ability to show their frustration but don't turn to the umpire to show it. If they're beaten in a marking contest and the, the frustration is more at themselves for their poor effort in the marking contest and they're frustrated and they show an aggressive or they might, ah, you know, that sort of thing, do it not facing the umpire. Okay, um, Players will learn to do it like that but you've got to pay all the 50s. We can't be tearing our hair out saying, 
Harris Andrews shouldn't have when you've paid it. So George Hewitt should have. And Port Adelaide are we, fans are sitting there. Well, which one is? So is a player allowed to turn around and say, what was that for? And, and lift their arms in the air and question a decision anymore? This is the thing. It hasn't been made clearly. Um, it hasn't been made clear to the public enough. I think that they're, they're winging it on this front a little bit. And I'm not the sure whole, that that's helpful. The whole arms out bit, arms out is 50 explanation is new to me. Uh, turn around and to say, what was that for in, in a demonstrative manner, even if you don't swear. I took that as going to be 50 this year. So it, it was on the players. And this is to change a behaviour right across all of Australia, every single yeah. competition, junior competition. Absolutely. Turn and to calmly say, um, what was that for? Yeah. Or I don't think I held him. Or I reckon he helped me as well. Um, you've got to be able to see it both ways. If you can say that calmly to an umpire and an umpire can calmly turn back and say, all I saw was you holding. I didn't see him hold you. That's a terrific interaction with an umpire. Move on. Exactly. But, but it has to be calm. I, I wouldn't mind a clarification on if arms go out, it's 50. Because then players need to know that so that that has to actually be trained. At training, mentioned in meetings, coaches will follow up with it. You've got to stop throwing your arms out because you're going to be paid 50, 50 metres every single time. Yeah, absolutely. That needs and it's a so direction. It is so costly. So on the one hand, you can have a goal. On the other, you can, you can have a team that can't even manufacture a score, but exactly the same thing occurring. Uh, for the second time this season, Carlton, I think we, we all agree are on the rise, but second time this season, they've built a really big lead in a game. They did it against Hawthorne early as well a few weeks ago and have almost been beaten. So I guess you can look at it two ways. If you're Michael Voss, you can go, hey, we ground out the wins when we were being challenged. But at the same time, it does suggest that Carlton is not quite at the level where it can really put teams away, like a Melbourne, like a Western Bulldogs has the capacity to do, Geelong, Brisbane, those really top echelon teams. Is that fair? That's fair, Al. Because the two teams that they had big, who had big comebacks against them were Hawthorne and Port Adelaide. And Hawthorne, oh, I think they, they're promising start to the year, but I think they'll peter out as the year goes on. And Port Adelaide was 0-4 and four coming into the game, now 0-5. and five. So they haven't been great teams who've done it to them. I think that will just be able to send Michael Voss back to the group in the meetings and at training to train situational football. And by that, I mean the opposition's kicked three goals in a row on us. We can't, like the old days, drop a number behind the ball at the centre bounce. What are we going to do? What do we do? From the centre bounce, we're going to do... We're going to look to turn have a winger starting a little bit behind centre, still on the wing, but he's going to run defensive. Or we're going to bring a half forward up to the stoppage so we get an extra number there to clog up some numbers. We're going to... Our hit zones as a midfield group is going to be in tighter. We're going to try and get three or four stoppages in a row just to settle the momentum back down. We're going to, Whatever the situation in football they want to train is, that's what they'll work through to stop a big run of comebacks of the five, six, seven goals to one period of football that we're seeing at the moment. Um, so th that's, that's an part of their evolution. If they don't get that right, they don't become a really top team. But this could be good for them. It could be a really good experience to say, okay, we're playing good football that puts us here. But when teams throw something else at us, we need to know what we're going to do and coach ourselves on the field through that scenario. They're in that group of teams at four and one at the moment, the Blues. So Fremantle's part of that, that group, another side that wants to work its way back into finals. They haven't played finals since 2015. The Fremantle Dockers, St Kilda's in that group at four and one as well. Um, based on what I saw at Marvel Stadium today, I think Fremantle's playing finals. I think they'll, they'll get enough wins at home. They've, this seemed to me a really important game for Freo to show that they are the type of material that can go into September this year. To come to Melbourne, to beat Essendon at a venue where Essendon typically plays well. And the style in which they did it, Lingy, it was a, a grinding sort of battle in the first half. But then Fremantle took total control in the second half of the game. And, and it, was a, it was an absolute car crash, really, for Essendon. It was, 
it was horrifying to watch if you're an Essendon fan. And early in the final quarter, they were going for the aisles. They were, they were out of here. They'd seen enough. It was really disappointing from Essendon. There were moments in the game where the work rate was so poor and so obvious that there were players walking through the middle of the ground as Fremantle players surged forward. Brayshaw was, was just brilliant. So wrong on return was excellent. Will Brody had another excellent game for the Fremantle Dockers and, and Dave Mundy through the middle. Matt Tavener kicked a career-high seven goals and Alex Pearce on return. He's had such a luckless run with injury, but he played such a key role in nullifying Peter Wright today, who was the only real focal point for, for Essendon in the forward line and, and had no impact on the game. So I had alarm bells ready and it was going to be Essendon. And it still is Essendon to a degree. But my other alarm bells for this week actually revolves around you because I'm a bit worried that Kane Corns <laughs> has you in his sights. He, he seems to think that since you've retired, this is on the footy show earlier today. We go to our next graph. So this is Lingy, 2012, <laughs> when he joined the media. And this is his opinions. So nothing, nothing, nothing. <laughs> Nothing until 2022 when he had a crack at me and then Damo came off the top and said, well, Lingy's finally having an opinion. So he smashed me there, Cameron Ling, on, on my opinion on Connor Rose and Sam Walsh. Then he's gone the Giants the week after. He said the Giants are just junk food. He's got a big opinion there. And then Lingy on the weekend said that North Melbourne, get rid of it. They can't have good Friday football. So he well, has gone that. and we love it. So Lingy, what I want is more opinion on the back of Damien. Can we show the graph again? Oh. Hang on, hang on. I want more opinion. I want less of this. <laughs> he put up a graphic and it said, and this stems from you questioning um, a comment he made a while back, which he says he's said he was wrong about many times over, that Connor Rosie was a player that had to be picked ahead of Sam Walsh and it was crazy that, that Carlton hadn't taken Rosie. You said that that was debunked. So that was your dead argument a few weeks ago. He didn't take kindly to it. So the graphic goes up today and it basically said that in... The entire time you'd been in the media post your career, you'd had zero opinions until basically we started this podcast, which is a great endorsement of the podcast, Lingy, and graphics went up of your reference to his comments and reference to the Giants as well. So nice of the footy show to promote a seven football podcast. But are you two officially at war? The alarm bells are ringing for me. <laughs> you shouldn't be worried there, Al. I wonder what the definition for Kane is of an opinion. Is that just uh, just basically observations on how a football teams playing or how a particular team strengths and weaknesses or individual players and strengths and weaknesses, or they've got to be headline grabbing opinions? Because if that's the definition, then I'm happy not to be trying to hog the headlines every single weekend. I don't <laughs> mind just uh, basically being a an observer of football, talking about what they're trying to do, what they're what the coaches want to see from certain players, where they need to improve on and that sort of thing and having a slightly more level approach to things. But, um, oh, it's, you know, you know, us taggers, Al, there's a, uh, there's a little bit of, little bit of banter always back and forth between, between us guys. Uh, it, you shouldn't be worried about me though. Trust me. It's fine. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to pack up and go home or anything like that. I'm happy to keep having a good chat with you. And if Kane wants to keep jumping on all of our wonderful opinions and um, promoting them for us, uh, we'll say thank you very much. We appreciate it. I'm enjoying it, Lee. Uh, your very measured and balanced approach to things and uh, your an analytical side coming to the fore on the Alan Lingy podcast. It's, it's good to see. Very much enjoying that. Any alarm bells for you? Oh, no, I mean, we've touched on a couple of the big ones for me, which, um, which are obviously Port Adelaide and, and those sorts of teams. But I'm glad you mentioned Essendon. That's my big alarm bell out of the whole thing because I thought they'd beat Fremantle. I thought they struggled a little bit with the weight of expectations in the opening few rounds and just spluttered a little bit and played some ordinary football and then just started to tick along and maybe the improvement was there. But they got destroyed. They got blown out of the water by Fremantle. And it poses the question around your development of drafted players and bringing, yeah, in, in Brayshaw and Sarong's case, top-end talent and, and early draft picks to the club, but developing them in the right way versus trying to cherry-pick some high price recruits from other clubs um, and, and just trying to plug them in and hope it works. 
because Essendon's best player is still Darcy Parrish, drafted and developed. Whereas, unfortunately, when the, when the whips were cracking and things got hard in that game and Fremantle had the run, Dylan Shiel, again, just really battled. Devin Smith, again, just really battled. And, and those types of players, bring them in thinking they're going to be the obvious answer because they, they showed some potential at the Giants. Versus, I look at Caleb Sarong, and I think he's going to be one of the absolute top-line players in the competition in the years to come. For his first couple of years, even his rising star year, Justin Longmuir gave him a job on the opposition's best midfield every single week. He would play on, I think there was one game he played on Patrick Dangerfield. And this is Danger still in his absolute prime. And learned how Dangerfield won the ball. Tried to nullify him a little bit. Understood what his body positioning was like at stoppages. Then worked off him and found the footy. And obviously still had an impact. He played on different high-quality opponents every single week with a balance in his game. Understand how you win the football and how you can impact your team. Understand what the opposition is trying to do and how you stop that. He's a much better player than other players who've just been allowed to run around and run their own show. So draft and develop as opposed to just bringing in high end um, and thinking they're going to be fine, that's the alarm bell for Essendon for me. That, they're not the answer. What you're saying probably applies to the West Coast Eagles at the moment as well. Uh, Sydney destroyed West Coast. That was such a convincing victory from them on, on Good Friday. And Sydney looking really good. Another team that's, that's right up there, performing beautifully early in the season and, and with a range of players contributing and an excellent list profile, I think, Lingy, with... Lots of players in their young 20s and a good bunch of players in their mid-20s as well who are leading the team superbly. But West Coast hasn't really gone to the draft. They've barely had any first-round picks in, in recent years. Obviously gave up a lot to get Tim Kelly, who looks a shadow of the player he was at Geelong. Um, Kelly obviously coming back into the side along with, with Shuey and, and no McGovern, no Nat Nui. Yes, there are players who've been missing and they've had a lot to deal with on the COVID front, but... Is West Coast in a position where it really needs to draw a line in the sand, not necessarily rebuild, but we're going to see a period where they will have some serious list turnover and a reinvestment in, in youth and the draft, do you think? I think they're going to have to, Al. I mean, they've, they had that wonderful win last week where they really you know, dug their heels in and terrific, good on them. But their last couple of years have just been horrible. They didn't handle the hubs at all well. They whinged so much in the early part of 2020 when other clubs just rolled up their sleeves and said, let's get the season going any way we can. Um, so it's going to have to happen. Um, Tim Kelly's not playing great footy. Then I look at Sam Petrevsky-Seaton. I mean, where is he? He played waffle and struggled. I think he had 15 disposals this way and just really battled away. The idea that you can just get back former Western Australian people and go, bang, yep, they're good at another club, bring them back. It's not the answer every single time. It, sometimes it works. Sometimes it's a fantastic get. Recruits just fit in perfectly and they understand and they work really hard. The idea it's just going to be this immediate success is, is not the case. So I think West Coast have to. They've got to, they've got to maximise the fact that they've still got some ability on that list and still got some, some players who can really play and are still in if not the prime, still part of their prime. Um, you know, you wonder about the bodies of some of them. Elliot Yo was a superstar mm. a couple of years ago, but what's his body like? I, I don't know. They're questions I can't really answer. But if you could get him fresh and firing and one or two others, there's still some guys who can seriously play the game. Um, but you've got to plug some youth and well-developed youth into it, not just go and try and pick from other teams. Um, I, I think that's going to be their challenge. I, I'm glad you, you spoke about, you mentioned the Sydney Swans, Al. If I could just pivot really, really quickly to one thing that I've been keeping an eye at. I, I think we mentioned when we were talking uh, early on in the season that the title belt, the world heavyweight title belt has finally been vacated after about five or six years by Dustin Martin. And by the heavyweight title belt, I mean the best player, the undisputed best player in the competition. It's finally open and available. Dusty's dominated it before that was probably Gary Ablett Jr., I would say. Happy to have um, some debate about that. But Dusty's finally vacated it and it's up for grabs. And I thought coming into the season, it was either 
Petrarca or Bontempelli who grab that and take it. Now, Petrarca's doing his very, very best to, to uh, grab it at the moment. But I want to throw another name up that I didn't mention at the time, who's, who's now elevated himself into that upper echelon, is Isaac Heaney from the Swans. There is, talk about junk food for uh, another team that's up, up there in New South Wales. There is zero junk time when it comes to Isaac Heaney. He doesn't worry about getting 35 possessions, running around the back, getting little handballs and, oh, there's a kick sideways. I'll get another one back. Look at my numbers, aren't I good? He is 100% pure impact. 18 to 20 touches, anywhere from two to four goals per game, creating, setting up goal assists. He is just unbelievable at the moment and right smack bang at the start of his prime that's going to run for about the next four or five years he has every chance of grabbing it off Petrarca or Bontempelli and uh, and saying that I am the very best player in the competition he has started the year brilliantly well oh, he is a brilliant player isn't he inside damaging if he gets the ball forward of centre either using it inside 50 or finishing on left and, and right foot yeah. his capacity to bend it around his body on his non-preferred is He's a classy player. He's got an amazing leap. He's a strong, physically strong specimen as well. So if you rank them at the moment, Lingy, and you've got Petrarca, Bontempelli, I'm going to throw Sam Walsh in there as well. I think he has the capacity to join that, that company and become the best player in the competition. This Where would you rank the four? Um, he's getting there. I think yep. he's getting there, Sam Walsh. And he was really good when the... The Blues were on fire earlier today at the MCG. He was a key part of all of that. I think he's an outstanding prospect for Carlton. Whether he's quite there yet, hmm. let's see what his body of work looks like across the course of the season. I want to throw one more in. Uh, and, and before anyone starts yelling and calling me a homer or anything like that, Tom Hawkins is the other one. You know, it, it is such a midfielder's game and they are vitally important. And the very best midfielders who can score as well are incredible but Tom Hawkins, already 13 goals from four games this season. Since 2012, his lowest goal tally has been 46 goals. He's been seven times over 50 goals. He's still the key. Jer as good as Jeremy Cameron is and a couple of those other Cats players, Hawkins is still the key to the Cats. And, and as a key forward with Max King and Harry Mackay and all these players coming, and, and they'll get him eventually. Tom's still the number one man when it comes to key forwards in the competition. So he's in that bracket as well. But just ranking them really quickly, I think Petrarca is still just holding it right now. Mm -hmm. But he hasn't, agree. he hasn't unified the belts. He hasn't brought them all together yet. It's not <laughs> clear cut. It's not undisputed. He's not a young Mike Tyson yet who's just knocked out every single person. Uh, it's still there. Um, I, think, I think right now on pure form of this season... Isaac Heaney's two. Bontempelli, I still think, can go back to two, but I just reckon he's been a little bit hampered by his body and, and playing forward on Friday, still kicked a couple of goals, was superb. I'd then have, for the importance of the key forward, Hawkins at three. And I think, four. And at four... Is he got Captain. Hawkins at four. Oh, sorry, Bontempelli right? at three, Hawkins at four. Yeah, yep. And then I still think Lockie Neal's probably just ahead of True. Sam Walsh right now. Um, and with, with Walsh closing quickly and as every chance to be vying with those guys for the best over the next few years, but I still think Neal's just ahead of Walsh right now. All right. Hand in your Redheads club licence, Lingy, because there are a lot of Clayton Oliver fans out there. I reckon they were filthy with that top five from you. But anyway. I've, I've, got, it, I've got it written here. I've got uh, Oliver on the next group. Then I've got Cripps. Then I've got Maxi Gorn. I've got arrows going everywhere here on my notes. So this is the, this is the Lingy that Kane Corns needs to see. The diligent preparer. The amount of work that goes into these very well-framed opinions of yours, Lingy. Very, very good stuff from you. Um, Bit of debate around the Rising Star. We're five rounds in, so it's basically a quarter of the season. And Rochelle and, and also Nick Dacos look like the two that are, are setting the, the running early. Um, who would you have in front at the moment? To me, it's probably Nick Dacos still, but gee, I've been impressed with Rochelle and his capacity to own big moments in games. He looks like a, a real star performer of the future who's going to have so many great moments for the Adelaide Football Club. Yeah, I... 
It's a good question because it's going to be a quality class, this whole group. Um, and I, I do have to flag really quickly, I am one of those who votes on this award. Uh, so as the year progresses, Al, I will answer less and less about the rising star as the year goes on. But at this early stage, I don't mind giving an opinion on it because it's, I'm not saying I'm voting for them or anything like that. There's, there's still such a massive part of the year to, to play out. Remember when Matty Rao was, gonna, was a certainty like pay out the bets and all that sort of stuff going on, he got injured. So that could happen to either of those guys. Fingers crossed it doesn't. Um, I'll probably think oh, Rochelle. i probably think Rochelle. I, Dacos is playing really, really well, because, but it's in a position where it's slightly easier to find the footy and get possessions, that halfback, um, a bit of time sort of through the middle-ish part of the ground, but more halfback. Um, I think that the smaller forward, bit of midfield, bit of forward, you know, just the high impact stuff, I'm probably going to value slightly more right now. Um, so probably got him just shading Dacos at the moment. Um, but I reckon it's still an open race. It, it's just far too early to say, close the book. It's one of those guys is done and dusted. Uh, what did Callum Mills about five, six years ago didn't get nominated to round... 13 from memory and won the rising star so don't worry it can still it can still go either way but yeah it's going to be a good group this lot all right lingy nicely played very diplomatic but if dacos nor rochelle don't win the rising star this year i think on behalf of everyone in the community you are officially sacked as a, a selector <laughs> for the rising star unless something goes horribly wrong but i can't see it i just think dacos has been so dynamic he's hit the ground running immediately he wins plenty of the ball he uses it beautifully he can kick goals as well and, and he's already become one of the most important players in the collingwood side in his first season which is uh that's a real credit to him so it's I a good agree. debate i agree al can i just warn you about one more thing that other people tend to forget this award you vote on it on this season that they have produced only not on how good you think that player is going to be in the future no i, I know that very true very yeah. true good. now al i i, I can't <laughs> believe what how long have we been going 30 minutes 35 minutes and you have so patiently waited to discuss something that is near and dear to your heart but i want to steer you there right now because I'm worried about you. You know, you're worried about me with Kane Corns and all of that. Yes, yeah. I am worried about you. Tasmanian football, that 19th team, the, the Tassie Tigers, uh, probably won't be that because of the Richmond Tigers, but whatever, <laughs> not the Tassie Jack Jumpers or whatever the basketball team is. On a serious note, though, the Premier's resigned and Gil McLaughlin have, has indicated that he will be finishing up at the end of the year. Two of the biggest drivers towards that awarding of that license to a Tasmanian team. Do you sit here right now genuinely concerned about the fact that this potentially stops everything or pushes it down the, down the road a little bit and that momentum will be lost with these key people not being at the table? I think the Tassie Premier, Peter Gutman, has been an amazing advocate for the Tasmanian licence and, and has changed the discussion around it through his hardline policies. He's, he's talked up to the AFL and said that if you're not going to take us seriously this time, then we're not going to pay Hawthorne and North Melbourne large sums of money to play in Tasmania anymore. So he has been a tremendous advocate. But from that perspective, I'm disappointed that He's no longer going to be the premier driving forward for Tasmania on, on that front. Jeremy Rockcliffe, though, I think will do exactly the same thing. Um, and there's bipartisan support in Tasmania for the Tassie bid as well. So that's really encouraging. And there are some very high calibre people working behind the scenes on this project as well. As much as Peter Gutman has been the front man for it, there's a lot of work being done underneath him by people who I think are extremely talented and very passionate about what they want to achieve here. And I think with Gillian McLaughlin, it finally feels like to me that there's an AFL CEO, Lingy, who's listened, someone who understands the, the obligation of the code to the game itself. They're the keepers of the code. There's a, there's a missing part of the national game and it's a football heartland that's been overlooked for a long, long time. And I think Gillian McLaughlin understands that and he wants to put that right. So I think that will be firmly part of um, his last six or seven months in charge. 
I think he'll he'll push hard to make it happen. And and they are working hand in glove at the moment, the task force and and the AFL to try and find a way to set up a pathway to Tasmania's entry. When that is, I'm not sure. What it looks like, I'm not totally sure. But I am certain if it happens, it'll be a standalone team. I I agree with you about Gil being his, his genuine intent to see this happen and to see it progress a long, long way down the track, even if he might not ultimately be there to to grant the license or be part of granting the license. But do you have concerns that in this now finite amount of time that he has got to work as CEO, that the new media broadcast deal, the players' collective bargaining agreement for both male and female, may end up just taking up too much of his leftover time and he can't get to it? It's a lot of work, isn't it, that he's got on his plate to finish. So he's going to be a very tired individual when he does get there based on what he's experienced the last couple of years as well. But to me, those three things all fit neatly together. So what the, the broadcast rights deal looks like and what the, the CBA looks like for the players also fits in neatly with what Tasmania looks like and how Tasmania enters into the competition based on the finances around the game, the distributions to players and, and to the clubs themselves. So... I think they complement one another. And he's also got some very good people working underneath him, Gillian McLaughlin, on this project as well. So I'm still very confident this is going to happen, Lingy. Um, I do feel like the chairman, Richard Goiter, like Gillian McLaughlin, um, I think he views this the right way. I think he feels like there's there's something really positive to be done here, a very impactful thing that the league can do for a heartland football state. So decisions coming around August um, is my understanding and there are some exciting things um, that will happen in the next few weeks that the task force are rolling rolling out from the Tasmanian perspective as well so let's see where it goes I know there are a few presidents who need convincing um, Tony Cochran's been very vocal in opposing the Tassie license and, and bizarrely as Caroline Wilson outlined in her exclusive during the week has been lobbying already against Brendan Gale to replace um, Gillan McLaughlin is the CEO of the AFL. Brendan's yet to even declare that he wants the job, although I think he'd be a superb candidate. So I thought that was quite an embarrassing thing for, for that to be revealed about Tony Cochran's dealings behind the scenes. Let's see what happens. I know a lot of good work's been done. I know the case is, is absolutely rock solid for a Tasby team. And if the AFL executive recommends it to the board, the AFL board, and the board ticks it off, um, I think good luck to those presidents uh, overturning that decision. I like it, Al. I always love your optimism with it. It's straight down the line. You're very passionate. Uh, fingers crossed it does work out that way. I know that I've expressed in the past, and, and you've, I, you and I have had healthy debate around this, uh, around that mine isn't so much whether I think Tassie should, but I worry about the depth of talent in the competition and, uh, and spreading it too thin across too many teams. But that's a debate for another day, perhaps. For now, let's just finish on your... Uh, Positive, your optimism um, that Gil McLaughlin and, uh, and the AFL Commission will be able to get this one rolling together with the Tasmanian government. Yeah, at the very least, a timeline, Lingy, and, and a set of criterion around what needs to be achieved. And let's see if Tasmania can, can meet, those, um, meet those obligations. But I think so much work has been done and I don't think there'd be any issue with the state doing that. Uh, let's finish off with a little look ahead to the final round of uh, the final match of, of round five in the competition. Your cat's up against the Hawks. Hawthorne really humbled last week by St Kilda after they had a reasonably good start to the season, the Hawks. So, cat's looking good. Are they going to find a way somehow, Hawthorne, of making this a competitive game? I know it's the type of game where, like Anzac Day, often hasn't really mattered where the two teams have been in their form line. They, they find a way of making it quite a good contest. Yeah, that's, that's the feel for me. There'll be some twists and turns in this game. I, I think ultimately Geelong should be good enough to win. Um, they're at a very different phase in their, in their team and their list and all of that. But it's not as simple as just turn up and they're, they're going to be too good and they're going to dominate. That is far from the case ever in a Geelong Hawthorne game, especially one now coached by Sam Mitchell, who played in a lot of those games. Will Day out for the Hawks hurts them. He's a, he's a terrific young player. James Warple, they dropped. Um, mm. Al just really struggled badly last week. But even just a couple of weeks before, just hasn't quite hit back to that form of a few years ago when he won the best and fairest. So um, I think they've brought in the stronger body and the, the, the mature body of Liam Shields. I think he's playing um, tomorrow. I need to uh, 
Yeah, he is. Yep. Yeah. I think he's best on ground in the VFL the week before in the curtain raiser against Sandringham. Yeah, so that Sam knows that it's going to be a hot ball early. He's going to be, you're going to need those strong bodies, and, and Liam knows what it's like. The Cats were very, very good against Brisbane. Um, it was a terrific game of football. Two excellent teams going head-to-head there. They need to reproduce that same intensity around the ball, that same ferocity at pressure and winning the contested ball and then the intent to move the ball forward. They play like that, they win the game because they're a better team right now. But if there's any moments of being able to just turn up and roll through the motions they will get a massive shock, uh, a huge surprise by the Hawks. So uh, it'll be, I reckon it'll be a good game of footy. I, I think it's ultimately one Geelong breaks open eventually. Uh, maybe that's my, uh, my heart really, really wanting that. But I think that should be the case. Um, but I don't think, I think it'll be tight for a big portion of this game um, before it heads to long way. The, the Hawthorne running half-backs and their excitement and their burst off half-back, it is good. And St Kilda exploited it last week. They actually got a hold of them and, and their high half forwards dominated the game, Gresham and Hill and these types of players. But if you let CJ and Sicily and these players, even Scrimshaw and that, use the ball well and run and create off half back and off the wings, they can do some damage. So if Geelong let them play like that, look out. The Hawks will get it moving very, very fast. Looking forward to it, Lingy. It'll be live and free on Channel 7, of course as well and uh good chatting football with you you keep those opinions coming thick and fast always very enjoyable we'll see how they get critiqued during the week lingy and uh, we'll be back next week for you on the alan lingy show to wrap up round six of this afl season Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 